I want to point out before I begin, I want to point out that history has been made here in Boulevard Bible Chapel. One of the sisters made me a pot of jam. And this is the first time that I've ever received such a gift. Now, no doubt this is going to help restore my premature baldness. But I'm sure this is going to work. So if I'm ever invited back to here, you watch out. You might see me with an afro. I'm telling you, so don't be surprised. Oh, I tell you, this is wonderful. Now, don't let me go home without it. Thank you to the family with whom I had the pleasure of much fellowship. And that was the Bosworth. Thank you, my dear brother. You'll receive a special gift in heaven for that. Uh, at a lovely time with the Bosworth family. They have me exhausted. <laughs> exhausted. And I think maybe I have them exhausted as well. <laughs> So if I collapse on the platform, brethren, rush to me. Please rush to me and give me artificial perspiration or whatever it's called. <laughs> anyway, I do enjoy my visits to your assembly. I visit many assemblies, just doing my little bit for the Lord. But you're a very warm group of Christians. You're very accommodating. You're very kind. You're very gracious. You're very encouraging. I could go on and on with all of these splendid adjectives, but I won't. Just to say thank you very much to the Bosworth family and to the assembly here for your love and for your kindness to me. Now this evening I want you to turn to Genesis, please. Genesis chapter 49. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 49. Just a few verses, Genesis 49. Look, please, at verses one, verse 1. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, you sons of Jacob. And hearken unto Israel your father. Jacob is an old man. He wants his family around him. They're down in Egypt. You remember the famine? Jacob had to go down into Egypt. And he gathers his family, his 12 sons, that were eventually to become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. He gathers them around him. And this is a fascinating prophecy. Don't tell me, please, that this is not the word of God. Here's an old man, thousands of years ago, he makes these prophecies concerning his sons and the tribes of which they were head, and it all comes to pass. It is truly remarkable. Just glance down, please. Verse, verse 3 begins with Reuben. Then verse 5, Simeon and Levi. Verse 8, Judah. Verse 13, Zebulun. And look at verse 14. I want to concentrate on Issachar. He said, 
he said of Issachar, Issachar is a strong donkey couching down between two burdens. And he saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant. And he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. Now you say, what on earth does that mean? I want to talk about the tribe of Ishakar. And I'll be turning you to another passage in a moment. These are remarkable prophecies. Issachar was Jacob's ninth son. And he describes what was going to happen in this prophecy. I'm going to read to you from another translation. Issachar is a tough donkey. Lying down between two saddlebags. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Interesting. Issachar was given a piece of land in the land of Israel. We'll get to that in a moment. Maybe I should just suspend that thought for a moment. 300 years after Jacob gave this prophecy, Joshua, you remember Moses, who led the people through the desert, through the Sinai Peninsula, he led them to the promised land. But God says, Moses, you're not going in. Joshua is going to be the leader of my people. So Joshua goes into the land of Israel and they start to fight. They start to conquer the Philistines who were there. These godless, idol-worshipping people. God says, I want these people destroyed. Israel, you're going to occupy that land. And so they go in and they start fighting. You all know the story of what happened. This happened about 1,300 years before Christ. Just to give you a little uh, indication. Now, you remember when the tribes went in and they drove out these enemies. Now, don't forget Israel. I mean, Israel was in the Stone Age. And the people whom they conquered in the land of Israel were far more advanced in their technology. They, they, had, they had entered into the Iron Age. And I'm like, this, this conquering of these Stone Age wandering, drifting people coming into the land and destroying the enemy is nothing short of miraculous. It shows the mighty power of God in doing this. Now when they went in, God says, now you occupy the land. Well, well, Reuben said, well, I'm not going in. It's a wonderful piece of land here just outside the boundaries. I'm going to take that piece of land. And God said, hey, I'm not going in either. I'm going to take this piece of land. It's nice. And Manasseh, half the tribe of Manasseh said, uh, we, we're going to stay here with Reuben and Gad, and, and it's pretty nice over here in the east of Jordan. Pretty nice stuff. So there were two and a half tribes stayed outside, and nine and a half tribes went in. You, you're familiar. I'm just jogging your memory about this. Issachar, he went into the promised land with his peoples, his tribe. And he went into the north, he stayed in the northern piece of the land. 
Small portion, by the way. He only had a small portion assigned to him. But it was a fantastic... Those of you who know the geography of Israel will recognize that where Issachar was in the north part of the land, it was absolutely beautiful. Fertile, prosperous valleys. Great for agriculture. He was going to be terrific. The problem was... The problem was that he was very near the enemy to the north. There were more people to be conquered to the north. But Issachar said, this is where I'm going. The beautiful is Drylon Valley, still there, still very, I've been there myself. Very, very pleasant for farming, absolutely wonderful. But it was close to the enemy. And that's why Issachar was a tough donkey lying between two saddlebags, when he saw how good was his resting place and how pleasant was the land, he will bend his shoulder, though, to the burden. Now, what's the burden? And he will submit to forced labor. He will bend. He was going to be working the agricultural land. He was a good worker. And his tribe, they worked well. They prospered. Ah, but listen. He would submit to forced labor. When the enemies of the north would swoop down in later years, the first place they would conquer would be the land of the tribe of Issachar. Very interesting. Now, of course, they were all of the same mind. We have got to the point, you know, when right through the judges, remember Israel went through the time of the judges. And then they said, hey, you know, we've settled down here. Uh, these judges we're having, they're not, you know, we don't want this. We want kings. We want a king. Like all of the, all of the nations around us, we want a king. So they say we want a king. So you remember, of course, Saul became king and he proved to be a disaster. And because of that, the people gather together in order to make David king. David was to be made king. That's a little bit of historical background to give you an idea. Saul was killed in battle and the tribes appointed David king. And that's the context in which I want to bring you into Issachar. Would you turn please then to 1 Chronicles where we have more information about this. Turn please to 1 Chronicles, a book you seldom read and a book that I seldom read. But nevertheless, all the historical data is located here. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And we're going to read verse 23. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And please look at verse 23. And these are the numbers of the bands that were ready armed to the war. And came to David. Now David was hiding in Hebron. To turn the kingdom of Saul. Who had turned out to be a failure. The people wanted David to be king. And the people who wanted David to be king, they found where David was, and they said, we're on your side, David. And where did they find David? In Hebron. Verse 23. They came and to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. Now, that's very important. The Lord was in this. The Lord wanted David to be king. Now, please go down to verse 32. And the children of Issachar. Now here's my, here's my verse for tonight. It's a remarkable verse. The children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. 
the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. Now notice two things about this tribe. No doubt they were up in the north, but here they are in Hebron. They've gathered a few thousand men to David to join his army. What did, what, what did they do? It says they understood the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. They knew that they had to join forces with David. Now you say, well, so what? Well, first of all, they understood the time. They were all of the same mind to make David king. They were all united and submitted to David who turned out to be one, if not the greatest, of all the kings of Israel. It was during David's reign in Israel that he advanced the kingdom north, and he advanced the kingdom right into Iraq. It was the greatest territorial extent of the kingdom of Israel. And then Solomon became king, started off very well, but he got carried away with wealth, he got carried away with women, and of course he ended up. And that was the end of the nation of Israel. Issachar had insights. Do you have these insights? Tell me, my brother and sister, do you understand? Do you understand the times in which we live? Are you aware of what's going on? And what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? What am I doing about it? Now that's the challenge tonight. And the challenge is taken from thousands of years ago when Issachar and other tribes, of course, but Issachar, it's, it's recorded of them that they knew the times they were living in and they knew what they had to do. They had to link up with David and make David your king. Now tell me, David's greater son is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand the times in which you live? And have you linked up with the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior? That's the thrust of my simple message tonight. Are you linked up with the Lord Jesus Christ? How wonderful this is. You had two great people in the past year in the history of the American nation. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Now this is true. They lived at the end of the 18th century and right into about 25 years, I think, into the 19th century. John Adams wrote to Thomas Jefferson, and he wrote these words. You and I, we live in serious times. That's exactly what he wrote. You would almost think maybe he did. Maybe he found that in Chronicles. The tribe of Issa, maybe he did. But he says to Thomas Jefferson, you and I live in serious times. The American colony at that time, the American colony was embroiled with Britain. They were very contentious with Britain with regards to the future. The colony finally declared independence of Britain. And you know what happened? War was declared between Britain and America. You know your basic history probably far better than I do. And a new nation was born. The United States of America. In two centuries, 
Since that war, by the way, they, they won the war against the British and they became a nation themselves. And within 200 years just of those events, the USA would become the unrivaled, unrivaled in power and influence throughout the whole world. That's amazing. All because these two men knew the times and they knew what to do. They knew what to do. They had to break away from Britain. And you and I have got to break away from the world. You and I have to be disciplined in these days, serious times we live in. We've got to break away from the world and we've got to show our allegiance to our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to serve under his banner. That's what being a Christian is all about. Do you think you just have to drift through life? You know your sin's forgiven and you're on your way to heaven and you can live any old way you wish? You can't. You can't. If that's your attitude, I would examine yourself seriously. And I say, I say it kindly. You have to examine your heart to see if you're really in Christ at all. Do you really know him? In these serious times, are you laboring for the Lord Jesus Christ? That's it. Now, if, if Jefferson and Adams had not done what they did, of course, the course of history would have been changed completely. Changed completely. Today, the kingdom of God needs men and women like you and like me who are serious about the times they live in and willing to do something about it. And that's the lesson for tonight. And if you forget everything else, I say, I want you please to take that lesson home. If I were to turn you to first, now the time is moving on. It moves too quickly, by the way, in Boulevard Bible Chapel. I mean, I think there's a wee man back there. He's just saying it's time we hurry this meeting along or whatever. But the time just flies. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians 12 more carefully. In verse 2, you would read that these tribes, the 12 tribes, not just Issachar. That they were equipped by God. God equipped them to do the job. And God equips us. He has given us the word of God. He has given us the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to live for him in this crooked and perverse world. It's marvelous what God has done. In verse 8 of that chapter, you would read that they were trained and they were swift to do the will of the king. In verses 14 and 15, you would read that they are strong in faith. They were able to prevail against overwhelming odds. You say, we haven't got a hope in this world. The odds are overwhelming. We will never succeed. Nonsense. With Christ in the battle, we can smile at the storm, as the old hymn writer says. Do you believe that? I do. And they were able to put the enemy to flight. You and I, the enemy, the enemy wants you and the enemy wants the assembly and the enemy wants the unbelievers out there. You and I can put the enemy to flight because we have the power of God to do it. Do we realize that? Are we prepared to be soldiers of the cross? That's the, that's the question. And if you were to read verses 33 and 38, you would see that they had an undivided heart. That's the secret. These people who aligned themselves with David and they said to David, let's go. We're going to fight. We're going to get this land. And this is going to be God's territory and God is going to bless. And they did. And God did bless them until they fell into sin themselves 
many years later. Undivided heart. David was their king. Christ is our king. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. And one thing I love about this assembly when I hear about it is the extent you go in evangelism and doing the work of reaching out to the boys and girls and the young people of the neighborhood. You're not sitting back twiddling your thumbs. Are we all in this together? If you're not able to play soccer on a Monday night, are you praying for those who are laboring among the children? That these children will be saved and grow up and do mighty deeds for God. What are you doing about the neighborhood in which you live? What are you doing about those in work? Are you reaching out in some way? God will tell you whatever way you have. Some are bold. I mean, I'm bold. When I'm, when I'm out there, I had, I had to get four new tires up at Tire Kingdom yesterday. And when they asked for $800, I nearly fainted. Four new tires. But there they were. And then one of them said, where are you from? I said, I'll give you three guests. And one of them said, you're Irish. I said, you're right. You're and by the way, I'm, a, I'm amazed at the Americans. They always get it first time. Nearly always. First time. Do I still have an, an Irish accent? Do I? I do. After 40, after 40, what, 49 years in Canada. But anyway, I said to these three men, they all stopped to look at this strange man in front of them. There, there was nobody else in the shop. And these three men were behind the counter. I says, have you ever met an Irish man who never drank alcohol? They said, never. We have never met an Irish man who didn't drink alcohol. Well, I says, here he is. And I shook hands with all the three men behind the counter. I shook hands with them. And they, one of them said, well, how did, you, how did you do it? How did you do that? Well, I says, let me tell you. Oh, it was lovely. It was lovely. I got into my preaching mode. You know, I love this. I said, you know what, boys? You know, God saved me when I was a boy of 12. A boy of 12, and I'm now 79 years of age. It's coming up soon. That's when? Tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> 79, years of, 79 years, and I've been saved all of those years. 67 years. I've been saved by the glory of God. And I said to these young men, I would do it again. And they, they just stood there. They were speechless. They didn't know because I was getting all worked up and fiery. And maybe they thought the Irish was rising up in me, whatever. But I just told them the simple story of the gospel. And then I felt better about my $800. It was worth it. I, I came home feeling a bit better about that. Oh, the Lord is good. The tie his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. We're all followers of the king. That's, that to me is the emphasis tonight. David had his followers. Jesus has his followers. And his followers are called disciples. And discipleship is what we must aim for. Day after day after day. Am I a follower of the cross? That's the key. Now we claim to be disciples. If I were to ask you tonight, my brothers and sisters, you would probably say yes. Oh yes. I read my Bible. Yes, good for you. I go to the meeting. Splendid. But are we for real? Are we for real? Are we real disciples? The Lord, you see, said, you are my disciples if you do what I tell you to do. 
And that's the whole idea behind King David. He was a great king, a mighty leader, a mighty, a mighty man of God. He told his men what to do and they obeyed. And that's why they had such success. You and I will have success in our Christian lives if we obey the master, if we obey the king of kings, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, he talks in Luke's gospel about the cost of discipleship. You have to let go your father, your mother, your spouse, your children, and all of those. You mean let them go? No, I don't mean letting them go and disbanding them, not in that sense. You are to love Christ supremely by comparison. You have to love Christ more than your mom, more than your dad, more than your spouse, more than your children. If I were to ask you in the way, do you love your wife? You men. You would say, of course, Mr. Graham, I love my wife. Do you love Christ more? That's it. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. You have to love Christ supremely by comparison. Live Christ-centered lives and you and I will are called upon to do that. Live Christ-centered life. It's very, very difficult to do in the world we live in. But that, no halfway measures, please. God doesn't. God wants total surrender, and we sing about it. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. We sing that. Do we mean it when we sing it? Now, what a, this is a great calling. Imagine God. Imagine the almighty, eternal, holy God, our creator and our savior in the person of Christ. Imagine him saving you and saving me. I mean, it's the greatest miracle in the world. It's far greater than the miracle of creation. God spoke and the universes came into being. I believe that with all my heart. But to save us from our sins and from going to a lost eternity, he sent his one and only beloved Holy Son to bear the wrath of God, the punishment for our sins. How can I help but love him when he loved me so? That's the Savior. You call him your Savior? Do you love him supremely? Like what a challenge. As too many of us are half-hearted Christians. God wants you to be all out, an out-and-out Christian. Totally dedicated to his work. Totally dedicated. Are we making a difference? You see, there's a cosmic war going on. It's an awful struggle. And now we, we're engaged in that struggle. So it's not an easy life to be a Christian. Many are saved, but they're not seized by zeal for God. Are you like that? Am I? Many have been delivered, but they're not driven in their Christian life to live for God day by day. Growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither can men 
light a candle and put it under a bushel, but it gives light to all that are in the house. That's what you are. These are beautiful metaphors to encourage us. Serious times. We live in serious times, and serious times require a serious way of life. Serious life. Our culture, the times we live in, our culture is so polluted. Polluted. And they have an effect upon the church. They have an effect upon you and me. There's no question about that. So what are we to do about this? Our political and our educational system is corrupt. That's why many, many people, I'm amazed by the way in America compared to Canada, how many people homeschool their children. All to escape the ravages of the culture in which we live. We've been robbed of our children. Robbed. We've been robbed of our grandchildren. And it's all because of the educational system which has turned secular. Let's get rid of God. Let's take God out of the curriculum. No more religious instruction. No more prayers in the school. This is happening in Canada. I can't speak for the USA. I've told you I think this before. I've told you before that I've got three grandchildren over there in England. One one just turned 30 and he's got advanced cancer. And he went to university, got a first class honors degree in engineering, got a remarkable job. But in university, they told him there was no God and he believed them. He never did make a profession. He doesn't want to hear the gospel and he's dying of cancer. In the advanced stages, his other brother, brilliant fellow, first class honors degree in economics and first class honors degree in law. He was in Washington. He's only 28 and he was speaking to the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. The guy's a genius. He made a profession, but he went to university and he lost it. He lost it. Lost it. The other boy... He's 24, 25. He didn't go to university. And he's a bright, shining Christian. He's a lovely boy. He can't get enough of the saints. He can't get enough of preaching and the word of God. And he can't get enough of his old grandpa. Talking about the things of God. I mean, it's beautiful. This is what the educational system has done. And I was in the educational system for years and years and years. And I saw it going down and down. And I've told you the stories before. I'm not going to take time to tell them to you again. Our churches are polluted. Our churches are polluted. You've all heard of the Jesus Seminar. These are men who are mighty scholars They have degrees a mile long after their names. And they meet every few years. And they take the Bible and they tear it apart. Oh, that's that's not not true. And then they meet the next. And that's not true. They're whistling away the word of God. The Jesus Seminar. How do you like that? Explain that. And then churches are robbing other churches. This is the big thing today in Canada. And even even back in Boca Raton, I heard about two big churches, one across the street from me, and the other the other uh, was close by as well. And uh, I needn't mention the names, but their young people are leaving. 
and, and, and they're going to other places where there's so much entertainment, entertainment that, that occupies most of the time of the believers who meet together. They're all moving from one place to another to another in order to get more of what the world has to offer by way of entertainment. This, this is a trend today. Selling Jesus today is the big thing in the evangelical church. Selling Jesus. Thanks to George Barna here in the USA, uh, George Barna puts out all of his surveys and he says, this is what you've got to do. You've got to market your assembly. You've got to market your church. If it's good enough for McDonald's, it's good enough for the church. That's his theory. They spend millions on marketing. Even when you watch TV, you're bombarded time after time with these ads. And you market the product. Well, they say you market the product here in the church. That's their argument. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Last year when I was down here, I may have mentioned this last year, but I got a circular. I got a circular in the mail. Up there in Boca Raton. Beautiful circuit. Technicolor. I mean, the thing must have cost a fortune. But it was all about a new church that was starting up by 95. Is it 95? Yes. Maybe it's 75. I'm not sure. But anyway, there was a making a new church up there. And they had rented the school auditorium. And now, one of the things that said on this beautiful, beautiful brochure, don't bring your parents. Don't bring your parents. Marketing, marketing. I want to bring you to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. When these fishermen got up to preach after the resurrection of Christ, and they preached a solid gospel, and 3,000 were saved one day, and 5,000 were saved the next day, and it had nothing to do with marketing techniques. Nothing. They preached the Word of God. They preached the gospel. They preach the salvation that is to be found in Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Away with marketing. Away with the world's entertainment. Be careful not to get too bogged down in that. Let the Holy Spirit move. On the day of Pentecost they preached and thousands were saved. And there were only ordinary humble fishermen uneducated men but they had the power of the Holy Spirit and you have that you have that so do I so what is needed today in the church is revival we need revival pray for revival I would long to see revival before I pass away or before the Lord comes. I would long to say, it seems impossible, but pray, brethren. Pray for reformation. Pray for revival in our society. You know, not by might, says the Lord. Not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Ask God to send the power of the Holy Spirit. You seniors like myself, you know, our bodies are wasting away. We're not able to do the things we used to do. There are many young people here to follow. Praise God for that. But you and I can pray. You and I can pray. And we can encourage the young people. And seek to strengthen them in the ways of the Lord. So what is the core mission? What is the core message of the church today? The goal is not success. Did you hear me? The goal is not success. It's faithful witness. 
God will intervene in his time. So brothers and sisters, until he intervenes in the power of the Holy Spirit and gives revival and our culture is changed, just be faithful. Be faithful in your witness. It's not worldly power. You know, a few years ago they talked about power this and power religions. We're not, we're not interested in that. We're interested in the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel. And it's nothing to do with technique. Everybody wants to change the technique. It has everything to do with the truth of God's word. Preach the word of God. That's what we have to do. And methodology? Methodology? Well, we have to go with the times, you say. Well, really? It's the message. It's not the methodology. It's the message that must be preached here and everywhere where the Lord's people meet. Christ's person and work are being obscured today. Because there's so much entertainment going on. Now admittedly we have such things as ideology. These are the philosophers today. They're pouring this upon us. Subjectivism. Everything has got to do with feelings. Feelings. Pragmatism. If it works then fine. If it doesn't throw it out. Legalism. Prominent in the church today. Relativism. There's no absolutes people say. That's what they're taught in the schools and universities. There's no such thing as an absolute, all-powerful God. But there is. How do we know? The Word of God says so. You either listen to the universities, you listen to the secularists, or you teach the Word of God. When you depart from this, then there's narcissism. You remember that Greek methodology, uh, that Greek character, in mythology, there was Narcissus. He was standing by a pool and he looked into the pool and he saw himself. Oh, he says, I'm so beautiful. I'm so lovely. You know, and it was all, it's all Narcissus loving of self, loving of self. Men shall be lovers of themselves. You see, and that's exactly what is happening today. And then there's naturalism. Everything we can be explained by nature. That's rubbish. You can't explain it by nature. You can only explain it. See, they say there's no God. Things can only be explained in this universe because God has revealed it to us in his word. And so, my brothers and sisters, these are the things we have to cope. These are the serious times in which we live. Serious times. And this is what shapes the world today. We could go into this, but the time is up. Time is up. So what do we have to do? What is my duty? And this, with this I close. Deepen your souls, brothers and sisters. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Word of God says. You deepen your soul. If you want to live a Christ-like life, well, we're told to. For me to live is Christ. Can you say that? On your way home tonight, if you forget everything else I say... Uh, just remember those words. For me to live is Christ. And say, Lord, I want you to examine my heart. Am I living for Christ? Day by day, for me to live is Christ, said the Apostle Paul. Be not conformed to this world, says God. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. The world wants you to. And the devil wants you to. 
Get deep into the spiritual life. Deepen your mind. God's word. Prayer. Silence. Get away in silence. Get away from the noise and the racket of the world. A lonely, a solitary place. The psalm says, delight yourself in the law of the Lord and meditate upon it day and night. Drink deeply from those heroes of the faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. When I was 13 year old, I had to learn the whole chapter off by heart. By, by heart from memory. I mean, those wonderful characters, they're all summed up. They're all summed up. And not only in Hebrews chapter 11. Think of the man. When I think of the man who influenced my life. My Sunday school teacher. My Sunday school teacher. He worked in the Belfast shipyards. Just an ordinary guy. He had no education. He had no high school education. But he came and he wept. He wept when he taught his boys. And he told me of the Savior. I think of T. Ernest Wilson. And I think of David Long. These were Irish men. And they were uneducated men. But they were godly men. They knew the word of God. They taught the word of God. What did they do? They left Ireland and they went deep into Africa, to Angola. They went into Angola, a Portuguese colony. And they went in to preach the gospel. They they didn't know any Portuguese, but they learned the Portuguese language. And they learned the language of the native, the Chukwi language. And you know what these two men did? They translated the whole Bible into the Chukwi language. You see what God can do with ordinary people. These are the heroes of the faith. And we must dwell not only upon the heroes of the word of God. That's very, very important. But we dwell upon those. Like think of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot, he went out to Ecuador. I spoke to a lady this morning from Ecuador. Jim Elliot went out there to the, these, these, native, these Indians. And you know what happened? He was no sooner out there, but he was murdered. But now there's many assemblies among those Indians. God does his work in a strange way. I could go on and on with this. Develop your souls. Develop your minds. Develop your minds. Listen to this. Listen to this. The founding mission statement of Harvard University. The founding mission statement. 1643. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. Harvard University doesn't believe that today. It's gone. It's gone. What a tragedy. Alan Bloom has written a book called The Closing of the American Mind. It's a secular book. It's a very interesting book. And one could go on. Answer the call. God is calling you to serve him. Answer the call tonight. We live in serious times. What are we going to do about it? This is a remarkable subject. And we could go on and on for another hour. But that will suffice. Just to plant the seeds in your mind as God has planted them in mine. And see what God can do. Let me read you from the message. I don't often read from the message. It's not a translation. It's a, it's, it's a paraphrase. The world is unprincipled. The world is unprincipled. This comes from Second Corinthians chapter 10. It's doggy dog out there. 
The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have, never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing the entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience and maturity. It's all here, brothers and sisters. It's all here. May God bless his word. May God make us serious about serving him in these times of decline so that we will be true to God and true to our neighbors by spreading the good word of the gospel. Thank you very much. Shall we pray? Our Father, you have given us a mission which to the human mind is impossible. But under the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. When we look at those and speak to those with whom we work and members of our family circle who resist the gospel who are on their way to a lost eternity, help us to realize that there is power, mighty power, available to us. And that with you, God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. We pray, Lord, in your mercy that you would search our hearts in these serious times in which we live and that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do under these circumstances so that in everything that we do we will bring honor and glory to your precious name your holy name and that we ourselves will be built up and empowered in our most holy faith bless the saints here we pray at boulevard we thank you for each one and we pray father that you would prosper the work in this place, as we commit ourselves to you now, in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.